Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams, and this is the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. In this episode, I speak to Hendrik Bartel, founder of True Value Labs, an ESG data provider which has recently been acquired by FactSet. In our conversation, Hendrik and I discuss the evolution and future of the ESG space with reference to the area's history, coverage, and clientele. If you find this conversation interesting and are left with follow-up questions, please join Hendrik and I for an Ask Me Anything session on Clubhouse on Wednesday the 7th of April at 5.30 p.m. GMT. I began this conversation by asking Hendrik to lay out his background a little. Um, all right, so let's let's go all the way back to the start. Um, so my parents met in no 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 let's uh, uh, let's not go <laughs> go back that far. So so uh, I, I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, went to went went to university there and, and studied engineering. Um, ended up um, right out of university, moving to California to to San Francisco for a uh, for 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 a startup. Um, which technology I've been using during sort of my, my studies. Uh, that was a startup in the, uh, in the LIDAR space. LIDAR is the technology that makes autonomous vehicles sort of see today. Um, back then and, and still today, this, this kind of stuff is used for, um, for serving, for engineering work. And, and it was quite an exciting startup. That was late 90s, then early 2000s. The company got acquired. I stayed on for a few more years. Uh, then uh, wanted to do something that is a little more so towards the the proverbial Silicon Valley. So so I joined a um, a chip manufacturing company and 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 we we built again uh, it was a startup. We we built technology that was used in in, in gaming technologies. PlayStation, Nintendo um, really had mass distribution and that was really cool. Stayed there for a little while, built out those products, and then um, wanted to do something even more consumer-related, and and uh, ended up joining another startup that that built um, handheld video cameras. That company was called Flip, and uh, was was quite a major brand here in the U.S. Built about I don't know 90,000 cameras a year, and, and had a really interesting software that came with it, where people could share. And this was all pre-iPhone, if you will, where where video mm-hmm sharing video recording wasn't sort of quite happening in your pocket and that company got acquired by cisco and then sort of after the third acquisition or the third exit there decided to take a break and and um, wanted to figure out whether or not there is a, a method to the madness of building products and, and running businesses and running startups and decided to go back to university get my mba uh, here here in here in the here in california and and during business school, sort of stumbled. You just, in... you just, you just keep getting acquired, Hendrik. It sounds yeah. like a big problem. How do you? Uh, um, what's the? How? What's the cause of this? What's the? What's the main symptom? Do you think? Um, I, I, I think it's, it's, um, sort of being with a group of people that like to build and that are very passionate about interesting products uh, and 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 solving um, interesting problems, and and I think that then leads natural to naturally to, um merging businesses with other businesses that that give you something that you didn't have in in that previous business and there's always a so there's always a reason for these things and then i think that's how we also ended up sort of being acquired by uh 
by by Faxet, and and we can go into that in, in just a second. For sure, but it's about it's about choosing. You think broadly. I mean, if we were going to to read and make a broad generalization, um, you think it's about choosing the right people to buddy up with at the beginning, and then that sets you basically for for the for the trajectory of rule. I think the team has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at sort of what um, VCs invest in, um, you, you you pretty quickly hear recurring themes, right? There there's there's a team that they invest in. There's a vision that they invest in. And, and there's a there's a strategy uh, or execution that they invest in. Rarely do you hear that the company needs to have a, a certain amount of traction or the company needs to have a certain product. Um, it, I mean, really, at, at the heart of, of every venture that you're building and we're trying to raise money for, the the investors really look for team and and look for vision and 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 what could be right. Uh, and and that's how you build. Um, interesting companies that that may have a trajectory um, towards an exit and, and listen I mean a lot of this can be manufactured and built uh, there there's also um, a lot of luck that plays into that a lot of the right timing that plays into that and um, and and, um, and and a lot of risk taking that goes into that for sure okay so when we left you you were um, taking some time out to study your MBA. And so during business school, um, sort of stumbled into ESG ratings and, and, and found that very interesting and, and, and uh, sort of did a correlation study on, on various ESG ratings providers and, 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 and how, how, uh, how correlated these ratings are and, and found that they're not very correlated and, and then sort of double clicked on how these ratings are even created. So when are, when are we? We're in 2011, 2012, which is when you're doing MBA. What did yeah. the, what did the ESG space look like at that point? Um, probably not as busy as it is today, um, mm. but but still busy and, and, and less acquisitions happened back then. Uh, and, and it's sort of a lot of uh, businesses, a lot of companies, data companies that that sort of have been around for, I don't know, 20, 30 years at that point, um, and, and that are run almost like legacy businesses, if you will, um, and, and that all sort of follow the same way of going about their data sets. You, you have a massive pool of analysts somewhere in a low-cost region that read through company self-provided unaudited information, and, and they then um, extract information out of those sustainability reports they put it into their own framework um, they shake it a couple of times and, and then out comes a an assessment or or as some of them boldly claim a rating and and then with that you you, you have some sort of a product that you can sell into the investment industry I remember I remember being told in about 2012 2013 um, I was in London and kind of in I was financial related markets related um, I remember being told that ESG was the big hot thing which was coming down the line um, so you I, had, I so you're saying that it's been around these companies have been around for 20 30 years were they calling it ESG back then were they was it always been called that or did it have different names um, I I mean, it, it's it's been called called many names, um, and and I think that that's part of the industry problem here. I think ESG is one expression of that, and sustainability reporting is another. Impact, um, 
So they're, they're, I call it the, the, the ESG alphabet soup. Um, I mean, there, there's so many different names for this thing. Uh, ultimately, I, I guess what I like to call it is sort of materiality assessment and, 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 and um, really just looking at a different piece of information in order to make better, um, better, in, better informed investment decisions. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 um, your timing was good in that you started playing around with ESG sets in kind of 2011, 2012, which was before I'd like a couple of years before I'd been told that ESG was, was the next hot thing, but that's partly about being in California, I suspect. But, um, also, um, what, what do you remember what drove you towards it? What, what kind of inspired that interest? Cause it, well, your background wasn't massively ESG related before. No, not not at all. I mean, it, it it was totally a business school, and 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 again, sort of um, doing a correlation analysis of of different ESG data sets and seeing that there was very little correlation between the different data sets. Uh, I, I think that was the impetus. Um, but then, what what really got me interested in sort of building a business around it was trying to figure out how these how these ratings or these assessments are being created and what the business model is behind them. Um, so what, what we saw then and we, what we still see today is, is that these ratings are created by um, data providers that have an army of, of analysts, usually in low-cost locations, um, that are going through these, these kind of um, data sources, putting that into a framework, um, and then sort of selling that. So, so that was all true back then. That's still true today. But the interesting thing for me was that um, even though there was very little correlation between these data sets, um, you already saw that asset managers and banks were buying these data sets for um, six, seven digit amounts. And that was interesting. I'm like, wow, you, you've got a, you've got a, you've got data sets that have very little correlation with each other uh, that are being sold into the financial markets for a large amount of money. There is no, there's a complete void of technology here. So that that was an interesting piece for me. There, there was a complete void of technology, um, not a lot of technology being used. Very rudimentary technologies like keyword searches, may, maybe um, that was sort of the extent of what was going on there. Um, and when you say, sorry, just just to just to just to um, drill down a couple of things. When you say low correlation, are you saying low correlation to each other, which suggests that there might be a kind of wide margin of error in terms of whether they actually contain anything, or do you mean cor- low correlation against against um, markets in terms of if you're going to try and use them to predict market values? Correlation against what? But both, both certainly uh, low correlation against each other. Um, so mm-hmm. company A would would rate a, a certain participant in the market with a triple A versus company data provider B rating the same company at triple C. And, and, and sort of there was a very low correlation between the different data providers and, and understanding that and why that is. And, and then also, is there any predictability? Is there any usability of, of, of such a data set that has such low correlation qualities within each other? How does that then correlate to the markets and, and, and how markets are using this kind of data? So it's like if all the it's like if all the credit rating agencies were giving wildly different credit ratings for companies, then you can't really trust any of the credit rating agencies because who to trust type thing. Yeah, that that that's correct. That's correct. And then obviously that that is all regulated and 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 sort of it's now just a matter of how fast these credit ratings update. And then that was another main driver for sort of looking at trying to do something with technology here because 
uh, when you when you looked at these ratings and when the ratings or these assessments from an ESG perspective uh, got updated or what their what their update frequency was, you quickly saw that um, this stuff got updated every 12, 13, 15, 18 months or something like that. And and again, I I, I don't come from capital markets. But back then, you sort of see hedge funds doing nanosecond trades and all that stuff, and they're putting their own networks in. And all of a sudden, there's a data set that gets updated every 13, 15 months or something like that. I'm like, wow, that that doesn't fit together. So on the one side, you you are like getting margins, or or you're you're winning out against your competitor because you have information faster. And then on the other side, you you're you're buying a data set that got updated last like 13 months ago because it's such a manual effort. Um, and, and, and that was, that was sort of, I would say the, the, the starting points and the, the, the impetus for, for true value labs of fundamentally doing this different by not, um, employing hundreds of thousands of people in low cost locations going through the same information again, but basically Mm -hmm. saying, all right, what can we do with modern day computing technologies? How can we quickly, um, ingest hundreds of thousands, millions of, of unstructured data sets, have a computer read through all of this and then come up with an assessment that is objective, that is not a black box, that is very granular, that is real time, that looks at the positive or the opportunity as well as the risk side, the negative side of the equation as well. Um, and, and sort of that, that was really the, the driver for the company. Just to drill in again a little bit to um, the kind of things that um, these analysts and then your 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 machine, your computer was looking for. Like, what were they? What were they search, like searching document? What kind of keywords or what kind of what kind of system were they doing? And what kind of system did you build? I mean, the the systems that the traditional <clears throat> ESG data vendors have built and, and are still employing are 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 systems that look at company self-reported information. So, so sustainability reports um, that use surveys that, that get sent from the, from the data vendor to the, to the corporation. And then the vendor, uh, then the, the corporation gets to fill in a, a survey um, and, and they get many of these surveys and, and some of them get filled out. Some of them don't get filled out. So then that data can be used and put into proprietary frameworks so that the data vendor ha- has a proprietary framework that then they fill in. So, so in, in, again, they, they look for GHG emissions data. They look for sort of board diversity data. They look for um, employee incidents. Um, again, pretty quantifiable data sets that, that they're looking for and that they can fill in their framework with. Just quickly for the uh, for the uninitiated, um, ESG is environmental, social, and governance. We we probably should have said this earlier, which means that this is all the kind of risks that a company might run afoul of public opinion or regulation somewhere, or and also um, a, a correlation between good governance and 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 look. People who pick up litter are more likely to, um, you know, run their business correctly. Type type idea. So ESG is a kind of a is a is a is a positive and a de-risking. Um, and so when we're talking about sustainability reports and diversity, then it's then it's kind of um, looking for best practice amongst amongst companies, and that being a guide for investors as to as to yeah where where they should put their money. Would you agree with all that? Yeah, I, I would. And, and I think part, part of the issue that we've seen back then and, and that makes 
sort of the True Value Labs idea so valuable is is really the aspect of of using real time information because again as a, as an investor you want to make sure that you understand environmental social governance issues or materiality issues uh, in in whilst they unfold so so say you are running a uh, a chemical company and for years you you've been dumping your 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 leftovers into the local river right i mean it is just a matter of time and and you should earmark this on your balance sheet um once you get caught you will have to pay billions of dollars in fines or millions of dollars in fines and legal fees etc cetera, etc cetera, and then cleanup fees and and so all of this stuff and, and again this goes back to sort of the founding story of true value labs is like why wouldn't we account for this and why wouldn't this come up on the balance sheet again you will get caught one day or if you are a uh, a, a company that collects and we're seeing this more and more today, company that collects accounts online, right? So all of a sudden you will your your system will get hacked and millions of your user data will will get exposed. So that is a material issue to the company and, and you should be prepared to deal with these things and, and you should report on these things and you should show your investors how much it will cost you to clean this up. Uh, on the contrary, you should also be rewarded for putting policies in place and for being able uh, to respond to these kinds of issues that a car that your corporation will be hit with, so you should communicate this. You should you should make sure that that your investors understand why you're spending money on these kinds of things uh, going forward. So really, it's 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 a there there is there's a yin and a yang of of this kind of of data in my opinion and 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 many. Data providers, in my opinion, they just look at the negative part of the the equation, and and they just sort of look at incidents, if you will. But but again, you're you're not seeing the full color spectrum here. You're leaving fifty percent of the information on the table, which is the positive information. So looking at information in real time, looking at both varieties of information, positive and negative, in the same time, uh, I, I think that's really the the valuable attributes that we designed around True Value Labs when we when we started thinking about building this business. Fantastic. Thank you. I think we've, we've set the ESG scene very well. Um, so you've hinted at it, but um, so True Value Labs was the kind of computing solution to what had been a people problem um, up until that point. So you um, you were using what what kind of um, I suspect you're using NLP. What kind of what kind of algorithms? What kind of techniques were you using to solve this problem from a computing perspective? You're, you're using entity-based uh, um, uh, or NRE um, N NER algorithms. You're using NLP algorithms. You're using machine learning algorithms. You're using uh, recommendation algorithms. You're using a wide variety of, of, of sort of modern-day computing power and 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 stuff that's already been used throughout other industries it's it's really looking at at what has been used out there what is what are other companies using to possibly solve other problems but that have fundamentally the same challenges scalability not having enough people to read something finding information in a piece of paper or in a piece of content that that is is very obscured um so so really not trying to reinvent the wheel but but taking everything that's out there and then really focusing the lens on on solving a very specific problem and and again looking at looking at solving the problem from an engineering and from a product perspective 
rather than sort of saying, okay, we need to build a company that now has a thousand analysts and, and does the same thing as, as company B. For sure. So you were, so you were created in 2013 or you created it in 2013 and you, um, and True Valley Labs was acquired by Factset in 2020, November, 2020. Um, how so one thing that i suspect changed was that esg during that time became the kind of the hottest thing in the markets and so, and the amount of demand and the amount of googling of esg and the amount of interest um would have would have you know um rocketed um that will have changed was there a, was there a, um many changes within the company in terms of what was available technology technology wise was there a was there a big growth how was how did the trajectory of the of the company change during that time that's a good question um again i mean for the first <clears throat> 3 or 4 years of the company we were really in in building mode and it took us a while to sort of find the right technologies and 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 we were really inward focused on on building sort of a baseline product and then in 20 I don't know, 2017, we got our first major customer that sort of bought the data set that we had and that we were building and, and sort of that we could get feedback on our roadmap on and, and, and sort of define or redefine our roadmap and, and, uh, and then really building the company to a point where you can hire sort of more senior executives that that allow you or that know the market and that, that have sold into this market or have marketed into this market before sorry, sorry hendrik can i stop you because i think i think it's really interesting that you so you started in october 2013 and you said you got your first major customer in 2017 so that was three three four years of working presumably very hard um without any major customers i mean was that and now that you've been acquired and you're kind of you know you've, you've made it in a way um then you can look back on those times with a with a kind of rose rose tinted backwards goggles like was it a was that always the plan or were you were you kind of doubting during those years yeah so i i think i think we were, we're of course you you have to be doubtful i think you have to be critical and 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 um as as, as i always tell budding entrepreneurs or, or founders or I've I've learned before is is the highs are so high and the lows are so low and 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 it, it it's not sort of a, a a job that keeps you at an equilibrium that sort of says okay it's all fine, um, yeah I mean it, it's all it always is a nail biter but but you know what you're working on and and you know how long things will take and and again we we are and we were working with cutting edge technologies so. Uh, you, you go in there and you say, all right, it's going to take a few years to get there. And then that's what's called R&D, research and development. And during R&D phases, you you know that not everything will work, that stuff gets scrapped. I mean, we were, I, I would almost say we, we sort of ran into a Netflix conundrum very, very early on where we basically said, hey, we know one day we want to stream movies, but but until the internet connections in every house are sort of, at a speed where you can stream movies, we need we still need to ship DVDs, and and we were in a similar conundrum. We were basically building for two years and said, okay, we need to amass more data. We need to sort of build more ML algorithms and 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 do a lot more in order to sort of start really start cranking the machine. And until there's something that comes out of the machine, um, so we were building a really um, a consumer application, um, a, a beautiful 
iPhone app, if you will, that, that possibly would allow us to, rather than now waiting for the AI to be there, um, really just, just waiting for, um, so for consumers to start sort of possibly giving us their opinions and trying to crowdsource this. The intention was never really to, to release that thing, but then one website found out about it and, and, and they, they leaked it. And sort of overnight, we had thousands of users on this thing and we we're like, oh, gosh, we, we don't want to support that. And that's not really what we want to build. So we, we sort of quickly figured out how to sort of kill that service. Um, it, was, it was a beautiful newsreader, if you will, where, where people could opine on, 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 on sort of sustainability issues that were highlighted in the news. Um, it, it was an attempt of ours of trying to sort of accelerate the, uh, the development of, of our algorithms and, and of our larger infrastructure. Um, yeah, I mean, you, but that's part of building and that's part of sort of growing and, and, and figuring out what works and doesn't work um, and, and trying to iterate that quickly in order to quickly understand what doesn't work and quickly understand what works and then really just focus on that. Yeah, okay. Okay, and so so as we kind of said in the background, the ESG sphere was kind of evolving, and the and the interest in it was growing. Um, and so, and you got your first you got your first major client in twenty seventeen, and in twenty eighteen you were you were raising money. How did the how did the demand evolve? Was it did you see it come from somewhere in terms of you know suddenly the I don't know the 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 a particular side of the market was particularly interested in ESG and it spread to the rest or do you think it was, or was it, was it suddenly everywhere? That's a, that's a great question. So, so demand was there and I've never seen a company where we were able to get this many C-level meetings. We were able to meet with CEOs, CIOs, of the largest banks, of the largest investment managers, of the largest hedge funds, um, the interest was there. And, and that was fascinating to see. There, there was a lot of talk, if you will. Then there was even more sort of pausing after the talking. It's like, all right, so come, come back once you reach this. So that helped us to inform what we need to build, what kind of universe we need to cover, what kind of back data we need to have. So, so that was really informative. Um, and, and again, then sort of that helped us build towards the goal and quickly get towards that goal to have sort of a meaningful universe of companies covered with a meaningful set of back data so that one could test this. Then there was also sort of a, lo a lot of trying to look under the hood and trying to figure out how we're doing things so that they could possibly build it themselves. You see that as well. And, and then from there, you really need to sort of... Um, take a pause because at that point there was a lot of interest, which was fantastic, but there wasn't a lot of conversion. Uh, and, and sort of that created a whole different problem in itself. And, and how do you convert something? How, how do you go from a lot of interest to actually converting someone into a client? And then that that's where this industry is particularly interesting because um, a lot of this is chicken and egg problem in, in the capital markets industry. Really sort of, it is, it is a huge herd mentality, right? If, if, Somebody needs to jump into the pool first before somebody else can come in, and and sort of this 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 industry relies on a lot of credibility. So we needed to try to get academics on board. We needed to try to get research studies published. We needed to sort of ease the uh, the, the pain of or the anxiety of using new technologies by an unproven company 
um, that may or may not run out of money. So it's 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 a lot of stuff that that speaks against you at that point, um, and and you need to sort of cleverly overcome that. Trying to find allies, trying to find sort of folks that believe in you that that jump on board with you, and and it it it's all a um, an in, intricate play, an intricate sort of dance of of how to get there. Um, and, and you need to try to optimize for that. So, so yeah, ultimately we get that first big customer and it was a massive, um, bank, um, custodial business. And then from there that trying to figure out how you can now use their name and, and market with them again, not only does this industry want to see a lot of credibility, but they're also hugely suspicious and they don't want to have their name out there because they're now using something that somebody else may want. So it, it really is, is a very interesting dance on, on, on how to put all of this together. And, and one of our, our investors told me last year, um, basically, Hendrik, you've been pushing this rock up the hill for seven years, and it, it's finally starting to get a little easier because it, it takes, in this industry, it takes five to... So I think the first thing that takes a while is building AI. Um, and it's sort of that... You, problem of, of you you can't just throw a lot of money and, and people at it it just takes time um to go through the results vet the results put the results back in the machine and and, and then do another crank and, and and figure out once you get to data quality that is at acceptable levels so it takes three to five years to develop ai and and that's sort of there's a lot of academic studies and in, in computer science magazines around this that sort of say okay this is takes a while so that's one thing that takes a while then the other thing that takes a while is our particular industry that we're in capital markets um, financial infrastructure it takes a lot of time to get adoption into that market so so both of those forces are interesting and and, uh, started to give me a lot of gray hair at one point but um so we we overcame those challenges and and uh, with with focus i think that that was one of the main points that we were focused from day one Having been a part of other startups before, sort of one thing that really can kill startups is if 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 there's no vision and if you, there's no focus. If you think you need to serve 15 different customers at the same time who all ask for different things, you need to say, okay, the one thing that we're going to build is is this. And and we we made a decision early on to build something for the asset management and banking markets. Um, and not to sort of now also try to figure out how we can so- solve for corporates or how to solve for insurance requests or underwriter requests. So, so we basically said, let's let's put our blinders on. Yes, we always made every year when we sort of did our strategy redo, we said, okay, do we need to now invest in some of these other um, areas? Um, no, we don't. But let's keep, we started to make educated bets on some of these markets where we said, okay, let's bet on this market a little bit to make sure that we uh, understand what the requirements would be if we would want to do it. I was, I was, yeah, absolutely. So you've kind of talked about it. You were going to focus on um, asset management and uh, as asset managers and banks, like that was your, that was your focus. Were they, so they ended up your being your, your kind of client base and what were they consuming from you? What did it look like? So the data updates in real time, as soon as the, the machines pick up, an incident or, or, or a change out there, or the machine reads something about the company, it analyzes it in real time and then updates the system in real time. So what what is the product and how can it be consumed? We, we had multiple products that, that we've built over the years. Um, some more sort of 
technology focused, but some others really just sort of focused towards the user. And, and, and that, I would say that was a platform or is a platform. We call that true value platform, which is a, it's a beautiful sort of web platform that is really geared towards the fundamental analyst, the fundamental ESG analyst. Um, you can upload your portfolio. It does a portfolio analysis relatively quick. Uh, it basically puts everything on autopilot. And when there is an issue that's arising with one of your portfolio companies, it basically alerts you. So again, you don't want to keep, that's another thing when building product, right? You don't want to take your users or your potential users out of their existing workflows because now training them on something different is going to be another learning curve. And, and you want to try to service the users in the environment they're already in. So, so trying to build as much information or trying to build as much automation um, in the, those platforms and, and meeting the user where they really are, maybe they are an email mostly, right? Having Building the platform in a way that then rather than you having to go to somewhere else and now sort of do an analysis in a platform, if your user is 70% of their day in email, maybe the platform needs to send an email to you saying, okay, this is what's happening and here's the action that we recommend. Uh, so meet them where they are. So that that, that was interesting and, and sort of we built that and that's true value platform and it's a highly visual purpose-built ESG analysis platform where you can where you can service different workflows for users. That's one thing. But then the whole thing eats from our firehose basically which is our our data um our data sets and and we made a decision then to basically put apis around that and and mm -hmm. allow clients who are less fundamentally inclined and more fundamental or quantitative and in, in, uh, inclined to really just circumvent the platform and just here is the firehose and you can access the firehose and different sort of um capabilities through apis um, and then we started selling APIs, um, and, and that was interesting. When we when we when we built our first set of APIs, um, I don't know that was 2016, 2017, and we went to the market, um, met a number of customers. Hey, we have APIs now. You can now buy our APIs, and, and we you can just get a JSON file automatically created. And so there was a lot of interest from 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 asset managers and banks at that point. Um, but then the interest sort of related is like, yes, absolutely, we want APIs. And then once it comes to sort of the API delivery, they're like, yeah, by the way, actually what we would really like is an Excel file every day at 4 p.m. And can you just drop that on a secure server? It's like, oh, okay. So you, you really have a hard time sort of accessing APIs and figuring out what APIs are. So then we needed to bolt on, onto our APIs. We need to bolt a data delivery service on top that then could service clients who are sort of not as progressive and can access APIs just yet, that they actually get their Excel file at 4 p.m. on a secure server where they can go pick up the file and then take that file and ingest it into their management system. So again, that was we were a little too early on that end, but then later on the market caught up and now the majority of managers can really ingest APIs and quickly sort of route them into their data lake and ingest the data. So the data comes in in different flavors. You have a, a real-time sort of number between zero and 100 that then is exploded into dozens of sort of small more granular numbers that are either according to the the, the SASB framework the sustainability accounting standards framework that explains materi materiality issues in a certain way or 
the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals that, that explain impact issues in a certain way. So we're taking these frameworks and we're sitting there with a subject matter expert as well as with an engineer and, and the subject matter expert then explains, all right, if I would be the analyst trying to find these issues that this framework tells me that I should look for, this is what I would look for. Uh, and this is how I would write about this issue. So we're taking the human aspect and how a human would do this research. And we're sitting directly with an engineer who then says, okay, this is how I can build this algorithm and let me build this data set for you. And then that data set goes back to the subject matter expert, the analyst, and the analyst sits there and says, okay, yeah, I can use this. I cannot use that. So that's then a feedback loop that you're building with the engineering team. And, and that's that's sort of how we've built our, our, our algorithms. Where do you think you're at now in terms of the quant versus the fundamental? Like, are you got more clients more interested in the in the pure APIs and numbers, or, or still wanting the wanting a bit of tech color around it? It's both. I, I would say it's it's very very equal. Um, it's it's most customers buy both, if you will. Um, and and now that we're in the in the hundreds of client counts, where you can really see that um, we're we're clients are going, it is very equal. Um, most customers buy both. Um, they want to have the platform uh, because it services different use cases. And then you have other customers within the same organization who are saying, I, I just want to look at the, uh, the data. So November 2020, um, True Value Labs gets bought by FactSet. You are now a senior vice president of strategy at FactSet. What does um, what does it look like now? What does does True Value Labs carry on uh, as before, just under the fact set umbrella, or has, has things changed? What's the what's the world looking like now? Um, so now we've grown from a I don't know sixty plus or fifty plus employee company to a company of 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 ten thousand employees. So so the the, the great news about being part of such a large franchise now is that 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 you all of a sudden have access to a large sales force right something that we never had before we we had i don't know five six seven sales people or so uh, and all of a sudden we have access to a thousand sales people um so so that's amazing um all of a sudden you have access to a much larger sort of engineering pool uh, all, obviously everyone is committed on existing um, projects. So now it's really going through the motions of, of sort of building an investment case on, on why we think this is a, um, a large business that we need to invest in. And, and really it comes down to sort of taking the, the True Value Labs product roadmap. Um, and that got Faxed very excited when we were going through these discussions and, and said, okay, we could see this within and, and, and we can combine forces here. We, we have a synergistic approach and let's build this out. And, and that's where we're really seeing it. It's, it's like, okay, we, we can put one and one together to make three. And, and that's really the impetus of, of some of these, um, convert, these, these acquisitions that you're seeing out there in the market, right? There's two reasons why acquisitions are happening. One is, is um, from a defensive perspective, you, you're shutting a, a competitor out. Um, because you now own that technology and someone else cannot have it. Or you saying, okay, if I combine uh, one and one, it becomes um, greater than the sum of the two. And, and that's what we're seeing here is like, okay, we're seeing a, a huge opportunity in the market from an ESG perspective. We, we, we have a technology advantage. Uh, we, we're looking at the world differently. 
so let's combine these two things uh, where, where we have fundamental data, we have where we have uh, externally created data. Can we combine these and, and build something that is much larger than the than the some some of the the, the individuals? Fantastic. So what do you see as the as the future of ESG? Here we are in 2021. The world has been going mad for ESG for you know a number of years now. Um, well, what what lies ahead? Can you see? I mean, are there are there any any letters that are gonna gonna add on? <laughs> is it gonna be ESG? I don't know. Q. <laughs> um, is it is it going to be? Is there are there so are there new directions it can go? Is it in the technology? Can you can you see ahead in 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 this space? I I think so. And and um, oh, I hope there's not going to be any more letter letters added to this. I think the whole <laughs> alphabet soup that has been created over the years uh, really went from from SASB or from ESG to SASB to STG to uh, what I call OMG today. I think we've we've certainly reached the OMG stage of ESG, uh, and and I hope we can look at at ESG solely through a lens of materiality and what matters, and 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 see this as a risk factor um, rather than sort of seeing this as a as a separate discipline. And and I think that's that's where we're going with this. I think uh, ESG has now become mainstream. I think it's now being sort of really built into the investment process, uh, taken as an information uh, that makes for better investments. And and I think that's where sort of my interest and the team's interest is is can this data set be even more democratized, where where you can easily use it. Uh, and and sort of related to your to your forecasting to your uh, cost of capital assumptions to your to your financial planning to your investment planning to your risk planning uh, around certain investments and and really just being taken as, as what it is it's it's just another information set that should it should be easy to use it should be easy to understand uh, I think there's I mean, there's regulation going on. I think it's too early for regulation to really take take a hold of this, and 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 I think the market still needs to sort of really figure out what it, what it wants to do when it grows up. Um, I do think there is an opportunity for sort of fundamental ESG data that is company reported, and we're seeing that getting better and better. I think there is an opportunity for sort of the outside in look, the, the the stakeholder risk assessment, if you will, of corporations marrying those two. I think there is a a huge push for for better climate data or location based locational climate data out there, um, and then sort of taking these three disparate data pieces and pushing them together to have sort of a more informed view on on a, on, on investment opportunities uh, on multi asset class investment opportunities. I think there there is a lot to do here. I think their technology is here. Technology needs to be used. Um, I think it should be. It would be a fallacy if, if this is not sort of going down the route of of implementing high performing technologies together with humans, uh, together with people, to make for a better product in the end of the day. Fantastic. Well, Hendrik, I think um, that's a really good. It's a really good summary of a very interesting journey you've been on with with True Value Labs, and um, and and you know you've you've now made it to the promised land and and uh, been acquired by a by a large and exciting company like Factset so um so um congratulations with that and and um yeah thank you very much for 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 joining today and 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 sharing your story and and best of luck going forwards thank you thank you mark this this was fun